As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of normally the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is Android's Dungeon, a show about books, movies, games, music, whatever happened to us when we walked into the studio. I am Jack, and we are not at the University of Guelph. I am not, at least. I have not been at the University of Guelph for a very, very long time, and I never went formally. I went to a much different school, School of Hard Knocks, School of Life. This is the Pandemic Edition of Android's Dungeon because the Pandemic Edition never ends, just keeps going and going. It's the Energizer Bunny of editions. I am going solo today, so hopefully you don't get too bored. I've got a lot of content, though, a lot of stuff to talk about. Before we get into that, check us out online at all your favorite podcasting websites. And at CFRU.ca 93.3 FM at 1 o'clock on Thursdays if you're listening live, which you are at the moment, so you don't have to worry about that. Or the archives at CFRU.ca. Just go to that lovely archive button and then, you know, follow your nose, as Toucan Sam likes to say. Speaking of following your noses, uh, I just want to do a quick PSA for people who have dogs or just like walking in general. Uh, I've been asked this several times, and I've become well acquainted with trails and spots to walk in Guelph, Ontario, as that is where I'm based. And since I have a very energetic and active young dog who has a limitless amount of, you know, curiosity and energy it means you have to find ways to get rid of that energy. And some of the best ways to do that is by taking him on constructive walks, as Cesar Milan would tell you to do. So I want to give a quick shout-out to two of my favorite trails in Guelph. You know what? I'll, I'll bump it up the three. I'll do three of my favorite trails in Guelph. We'll do the uh, number three trail. It is the trail off of Victoria Road going south before you hit... Uh, college, in between college and uh, Elizabeth, you know, just past the big bridge, if you hang left, there's a great little trail that uh, takes you past these railroad tracks, and you keep going to the uh, to the east side of Guelph, in that direction, if you're so inclined. It's not the most dynamic of trails, but it's pretty, it's flat, and uh, there's some good parts, some obvious loops, it's a good trail. Only caveats, lots of bikers, and there are a fair amount of people who jog it. Not the most private, but it's a good trail. Highly recommend it. Trail number two is Preservation, Preservation Park. This one is pretty big. Anyone who's in the city knows this, this park pretty well. It's the central park of Guelph in the sense of it is gigantic, it is sprawling, and a lot of houses kind of border it. But this one is in the uh, quasi-south end of Guelph, or the old south end of Guelph, you know, going south past the mall and uh, towards Hartsland, that area. Giant park up that way. Great trails, great little spot, lots of people walking, lots of good places to take your dog. It is not technically off-leash, 
but you're also technically not supposed to ride your bike through there. So, you know, if your dog's well behaved, who cares? Because I certainly don't people see people taking uh, their bikes off and uh, walking merrily when they're doing that. So, you know, have at it. It goes both ways. And then the number one trail, and I'm even loath to mention on the air, but because I respect you, dear listener, so, so dearly, the number one trail in Guelph is Crane Park. Off of Hanlon, Hanlon Road, Hanlon Parkway. There's a little street called Doherty Road. That's where we like to go. Uh, You can also hit it off of Stone, past the Hanlon. Just keep going uh, west, I suppose. And then there's Dead Man's Curve, and there's a spot to park, and that takes you to the trail there. Uh, Crane Park is deceptive because for the newbies out there, it looks like a really simple trail. Nothing special, just a simple little loop. Maybe if you're a little more curious, you can go into the woods. But once you understand that it stretches about twice as far as you think if you pass the river or you follow the side and know how to go through the the spots that aren't technically crane park but everyone accepts as crane you enter a whole new world of magical journeys and trails and spots with enchanted forests magical fields strange sunken bayous and homemade artistry and paths as created by a mysterious figure known only as the beast scary huh so give these trails a shot if you're interested in hiking or you're looking for a cool place to go crane park is absolutely the best but uh it's not it can be annoying in the summer if the bugs are bad uh, especially the first part can get pretty muddy and if the water's high it can be difficult to get to certain spots but uh dollar for donuts i'm there you know every day except friday generally speaking because friday is preservation day generally uh moving on android dungeon books movies games music blah 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 since i'm running solo here i'm gonna have to go through things a little bit differently so i'm gonna start off by talking about a bit of vidya a little bit of the vidi the vidi videos and then we'll go into board games after a musical break so first up Video games, it is a dead zone right now. Nothing interesting to talk about. I wish I could talk about Deathloop. I don't own it. I don't feel like paying $79 dues to try it, especially since apparently it runs like crap on modern machines, or it has severe stuttering or frame rate issues, which is inexcusable, and I have a feeling this is more uh, de nouveau copyright shenanigans. The de nouveau apologists say it's not de nouveau's fault. I say it's copy protection's fault, and de nouveau is part of that. So tough titty. So, since there's been nothing new, you have to go back to old stuff. And as far as old stuff goes, I have lately been replaying uh, Dark Souls 1 and 3. Not 2, because A, I don't like it, uh, and B, there is a fellow online who is doing a from-the-bottom-to-the-top remaster of sorts of the game, complete with some beyond cosmetic changes, and I really don't want to play it until this guy's done. Because I don't have a burning desire to play it, and I want to see what he does with the game. So I'm waiting until he's finished his work on it, so I can go back. So, for those who don't know, Dark Souls is almost a meme cliche at this point, because when it came out, I think in 2012, it kind of shocked a, a generation of modern gamers, because a lot of modern gamers were not used to uh, difficulty, or games that didn't hold your hand. 
And I'm not talking about difficulty in the sense of the enemies just have tons of health and they're just dead instantly. But I'm talking about difficulty in the sense of everything's fair. If you take your time and you think about what you're doing and you have good reflexes, you can get through the game without taking a single hit. Well, that's questionable. I'll say without without an unfair death or unfair attack. If you kind of take your time, you know what you're doing and have good reflexes. Um, it was also very big on its sort of action RPG elements. And by that, I mean, it was a it's a third person action RPG. You control a character, you pick classes, you have all the basic stats you think, dexterity, strength, intelligence, wisdom, faith, down the line, all that stuff. And they all do different things to affect your character. And you have different classes that kind of just give you different, you know, amounts of stats in those select categories that kind of theme them in such a way. So you go through and you start this character and all of a sudden you have, once you're in the game, you go through a very basic tutorial and you understand the controls are a little weird. And before you know it, you're being attacked by a, a giant demonic force that hops down in this dark medieval fantasy world. And the game explicitly tells you to run away. And from then on, the, the game isn't holding your hand or it's letting you know that this is serious. And five minutes after seeing this monster, you have to fight it. And that's where the game really shines because it's all about these giant boss fights and learning how to dodge and block and not get greedy because you have a stamina bar. And every time you do an action like jumping, running, dodging, blocking, attacking, your stamina is drained. And if you run out of stamina, you're vulnerable because you can't take any more actions until that's replenished and it and it uh quickly replenishes when you're not doing something so you have to learn how to manage this the game also does something very odd that i'd never really experienced before this and where it's all about dodging with iframes and iframes stand for invincibility frames which is that if you time a dodge at the right time the right place and depending on your equipment load which is kind of cool you can dodge through attacks so a weapon will clip right through your character, but because you dodged, you're technically invincible for that brief amount of time because you're moving past it. So from a thematic perspective, you're dodging through it, but when you're looking at it, it's hitting you exactly. But because you hit the button at the right time, your reward is that you just you go right, you go right through it. Big deal. Congratulations. You're, you're good. You got good. And you go on from there, and you find you're in this strange story where, or strange world where you have a very basic story that's given to you at the very beginning, but beyond that, you are, it's a hero's journey of sorts, where you are the chosen one, and it's up to you to basically save or destroy the world, depending on your choices. And those choices feel kind of arbitrary, depending on what you're doing. Uh, but you're just exploring this world of strange monsters, strange places, and very challenging environments and foes. And the game exploded in popularity because even though it was basically a sequel to a game on the PS3 called Demon's Souls, not a lot of people played that because it was a PS3 exclusive and it didn't sell that well either. So when this came out, uh, it hit the right note at the right time and became very, very, very popular. It also helped because it was on the PS3 and uh, 360, and I think the PC version came shortly afterward. Um... So it became rapidly this meme of being so difficult that people would call everything, it's like Dark Souls, it's like Dark Souls, it's like Dark Souls because it's difficult. And it wasn't the difficulty that really made things, made Dark Souls, Dark Souls. It was a sense of exploration and challenge and progression in a very tangible sense of exploring this world, creating shortcuts back to checkpoints, 
And what the the game did that I'm not sure it's the first to do, but it's the first in memory that I can think of, is that if you fail, wherever you die, if you can run back there without failing a second time in rapid succession, you can pick up all the stuff you left behind, as in your experience points, that you were carrying when you died and get them right back again. So there's this incentive to, after you've died once, to, oh crap, I gotta play smart, I gotta play cool in, in order to make it back to where I was before. So there's this push your luck element too because your healing resources are finite. Not as finite if you know what you're doing, but generally speaking, you only have X amount of chances to fail and take damage and then replenish your health before you have to run back to a checkpoint and try it again. So there's this delicious tension in trying not to lose your progress if you had screwed up in the past. Anyway, that's Dark Souls 1 in a nutshell. Overall, the game was tremendous. It was uh, I'd give it an easy 8, 9 out of 10 if I had to put a, a number grade on it. Uh, it does start to fail near the end of the game because you can tell they start to run out of money and some things get a bit sloppier and some areas are basically undone. And one of the bosses is just atrocious, just really not good. Uh, but it pulls it back together for the last fight and also for the DLC that a lot of people swear by. I don't love the DLC as much, but it's still it's a nice little addition to the game. Um, it was a couple years later that Dark Souls 2 came out, and Dark Souls 2 was a bit of a disaster. It had a troubled development history. It went from one team to another team, and there's this kind of you know, snide comment and snark coming around that the B team at From Software worked on it because uh, at the time, I believe the A team was working on developing what would turn out to be Bloodborne. So the B team basically took a bunch of half-finished designs from another team and had to cobble it together in time for release date. What we ended up with was a, a game that some people love, but I don't think is defensible as far as uh, how how half-baked it is compared to what would be 1, 3, and especially Bloodborne and Demon Souls. Um, a lot of the monsters are unfair, the environments are ugly and bland and underdeveloped, um, e a lot of the sections just feel punishing and designed to frustrate on purpose rather than actually challenge the player. And frankly, it's it's just kind of not a good game. It's not. It did not live up to the first uh, Dark Souls standards. But it has great atmosphere. The story is half decent, and there's some very memorable moments throughout. And it has probably the coziest home base of the entire series. So it has its ups and downs. Um, it was further kind of hamstrung by the fact that the initial trailers showed off this incredible lighting engine, where torches were useful. Uh, it had this dynamic lighting. Uh, things that were dark were very dark. Uh, basically, it looked great. When it was released, it had none of these features. And we later found out that uh, they deliberately removed them from all the versions, including the PC version, that could support them because the console versions couldn't. And I believe the publisher, Bandai Namco, didn't want the console players to look at the PC version and feel like they got ripped off, that their version was inferior. So everyone suffered, which is a theme you'll see in a lot of publishers down the line, especially the Japanese ones for some reason. Uh, it wasn't until they re-released Dark Souls 2 in this uh, Skull of the First Sin edition, which changed a bunch of things, some for better, some for worse, and added all the DLC into one tidy package, that the true lighting that was supposed to be in the original game actually made it into the final product. And it looks good. 
I think it would have looked way been more way more impressive if it had released with it. Um, but Dark Souls 2 did a couple of things well and a couple of things worse. And uh, it, it basically made two giant stumbles out of the gate. The first was it had tied invincibility frames to a stat you could pump called adaptability versus the other games which were based around your equipment load. So Dark Souls 2 basically had a required stat for you to dump points into if you want to be able to dodge stuff that you could normally dodge in the other games. It also had something called Soul Memory, which is a something that affected you if you're playing multiplayer. And what the game did is it tracked every single soul, basically experience point, that you gained throughout the game and put you in a different tiers of category of online play based on that amount. So the issue right away with that is that just because you've gained a lot of souls doesn't mean you're good at the game because you may have gained tons and lost tons. So the game screwed up this multiplayer aspect where you could have players who were awful at the game being paired against players who were fantastic at the game just solely because, ha, did you hear what I said there? They had picked up a bunch of souls. And I think people could also be uh, arbitrarily put into different categories after certain thresholds. Uh, I didn't play a lot of online stuff, so I can't speak to that, so I don't feel too uh, bothered by it. But a lot of people were upset by it, and it's definitely a, a stain against the development, or a stain against the game itself. Anyway, fast forward a few years later, and this is after Bloodborne came out. And Bloodborne, I think I've talked about on the show before, is a fantastic game, and arguably one of the best games ever released. And it's the only reason, frankly, to own a PS4. It, there's a nickname for it. It's called the Bloodborne Machine. I won't talk about it right now. If you haven't played it, play it. There's going to be a remaster. It's going to hit the PC eventually. But it is fantastic. It is that and Demon Souls and maybe Dark Souls 1. They're the best games in the series, without a doubt. Um, anyway, fast forward to Dark Souls 3 when that came out uh, 2016. And it was kind of the end to the series as far as people were concerned. It used the same engine or the same... looked very similar to Bloodborne. I think it looks worse, personally. Um... And it tried to combine the, the fast-paced style of Bloodborne with the slower, more methodical pace of Dark Souls and didn't quite get either of them right. It got the worlds looking nice. It's got the levels looking nice for the most part. And it's got the sense of, you know, the fashion, the weapons, uh, the lore. That stuff's all pretty good. And it, there's a lot of... Somebody described Dark Souls 3 as being a mixtape of the first uh, two games kind of mashed together. Um, and that's a pretty fair example. But it's got tons of problems still, too. Uh, the poise system in it is screwed up. And by poise, that's the ability to attack and then not be interrupted while you're attacking. To be able to just keep attacking without the enemy touching you and your attack just stopping you in your tracks. The poise system stinks in this game. And it feels like the heavy armor you put on doesn't make a difference. You, you still get staggered super, super easily. Um, the other thing is that the, a lot of the monsters, as I point out, kind of do this Bloodborne thing where they do a million attacks in a row. And uh, it, it gets super obnoxious, and it's not the style of game that Dark Souls really is. Uh, they also screwed up the parry system in it, as far as I'm concerned, because in the first two games... Uh, I'm not sure about Dark Souls 2 now I think about it. But in the first one, for sure, there's a zero, or a zero frame parity or a parry or one frame, which means as soon as you hit the button to parry somebody, which is to block an attack at the right time to be able to counterattack them, in this one, there's this weird delay before you do it. So instead of actually making it skill-based or reflex-based, you have to time it an extra amount to figure out that, okay, well, I'm not going to parry for two seconds here. 
I need to parry it right at this. So I have to wait till his attack is almost a quarter of the way through before I hit. Versus the original game, where as soon as he's like his attack was in the right place, you mash the button and you've timed it properly, you're rewarded. It felt satisfying. It was difficult to pull off if you didn't know what you're doing. And it, it just worked. So people complain about that for some reason or, or from software changed that due to some weird complaint. And it, it, the game is worse off for it. Um, it also has some DLC for it, two sets of DLC that are acceptable. I find them to be okay at best. Um, sometimes Dark Souls 3 feels difficult for the sake of difficult, not in a really organic way. Some of the monsters, a lot of the monsters hit like freight trains. And it stops you from kind of learning how to fight them as much as just failing constantly. And that can be very tedious. It's also got really weird bonfire placement where... You can have a bonfire here, go a few steps, bonfire there, go a few steps, another bonfire. You think, what is going on? This is very peculiar. Anyway, that's a brief rundown of the Dark Souls series. I've been playing 3 again. I enjoy it. It's kind of cozy. I get a craving for it around this time of the year, typically. Um, they're fun games, and I think if you play them for the first time, you can really you, you really feel like you're exploring something, and it's the best um, and they hold up in repeated plays because you can play approach them so differently each time. But overall, they're just really special games that I think we are very fortunate to have developers making stuff like that because nobody's quite come close to finding that formula. And a lot of different companies from a lot of different cultures have tried. And some have come close, but no one's ever, ever, ever hit the same mix that those games have had. And I think it's because they all fail the fundamental mix of exploration of interesting environments and discovering new items and also fighting interesting enemies that challenge you in a way that's fair no one else has done it properly and i i, I wait the day when we do we've come close but no one's got there yet so let's take a musical break and we'll be back in a second stay tuned
Welcome back to Android's Dungeon, CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was a bit of a dump of music. I'm by myself, so I don't want to bore you too much. I've already rambled about video games for uh, 21 minutes, so you earned it. You earned your musical break, folks. First one, you heard four tracks off of a fantastic, spooky album, Yokai by Deadly Avenger and Cybeg 2022. First track, Kodoma, Kodama, excuse me. Second track, Yadokai. Third track, Byako. And fourth track, Satori. Anyone who knows anything about a little Japanese mythology here, these are all Japanese spirits or demons or monsters, whatever you want to call them. Yokai, ghosts. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant album. Soundtrack for a movie that I don't think exists, unless you want to go back and actually look at the original Yokai, but I don't think that's what they're talking about here, folks. Next up track off of the album that just came out two days ago or today i'm trying to remember uh vaults of the sleeping martyrs from the album the entombed wizard by umbria it's not android's dungeon without some dungeon synth folks android's dungeon synth dungeon neat album really cool little dungeon synth album umbria is great this one's all over the place with tone Generally pretty upbeat, but it just makes for a good little uh, fantasy adventure. And last but not least, Incantation off the album Witch Cult by Chapel. C-H-A-P-E-L. Bunch of spaces in it, like churches or something. Cool album. Very spooky. It is October, folks. It's only going to get spookier from here on in. For the break, like I said, talking about Dark Souls. Dork Thulv. Let's get into the board games. Uh, for me, I have not had tons of time to play a lot of board board games. It's uh, it's been kind of a weird time. I haven't. I've been busy on both of my weekends and uh, during the week. It's been tricky finding time, especially when you get home, walk the dog, make dinner, clean up, uh, and by the time you finish cleaning up and relaxing and taking it easy, you don't necessarily feel like sitting down and playing something that's a little brain burning. You just want to relax. You just want to make some tea, some sleepy time tea, and watch ER on Amazon. May I point out before I go any further that my parents, when I was growing up, I remember them watching ER religiously, um, and I didn't get it. Now I get it. I get it so much. That show has aged like wine. I've never seen it before until now. I highly recommend you watch it if you have an uh, Amazon Prime subscription or access to the show in any way. It is fantastic. It makes modern medical shows look so, so shameful. The acting, the writing, the pacing, the themes, it's top-notch. I get it. I understand why the show is so big, and I understand why when you watch it, it's filled with actors that have gone on to do really big things, either sticking in the world of TV and succeeding or going on to doing lots of things in movies. Like, it has George Clooney in it, for God's sake. For at least the first two seasons, I, I think he's going to be in it for the third one, then he disappears because I think he gets too big. Um, but you just you owe it to yourself. If you like medical shows, watch it. It's too good to also just throw on as your like dinner TV show, or you're um, folding laundry, not paying attention, I'm on my phone. 
you got to watch it. It's just good. It's entertaining television. It's beyond all the crap that's on Netflix and network TV today. So do yourself a favor. Watch it, Yar. And if you already have, great. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so board game-wise, speaking of medical emergencies, we have been playing Pandemic Legacy Season 0. We have skipped Season 2 for the time being. Uh, we have put a pin in it, and we've gone back in time. It's kind of like when there's a really good movie or book, and everyone's like, I want the sequel, I want the sequel. And they say, oh, you want the sequel? Well, you're getting the prequel. We're going to set up the events of the first book. And people are like, oh. In this case, there is a second one, but we've just decided to play Zero. And I think we've made a good choice, because so far I'm loving it. It is, uh, without getting too far into spoilers, it is a... Another edition in the pandemic world, which has become its own <laughs> borderline 18xx style system of game, in the sense of it's a card-driven, cooperative, resource management set collection game. It, it's its own thing. No one else has quite done it quite like that. And the original game uh, has sold a gajillion copies, and. Then they went and did a bunch of different things with There's Pandemic Iberia, Pandemic Cthulhu, Pandemic uh, Rising Tide, Pandemic uh, Rome. Um, there's Pandemic, I think there's like a, a World of Warcraft themed one out right now, which is insane. Why not? If the game is good, I'll play it. I hate the theming, but uh, if the game is good, I'll play it. Uh, and then they, they said, and they, and they correctly figured out that, oh, well, why don't we try the legacy system? which was first thrown out with, or first implemented, I believe, in, with Risk Legacy. And then they did Pandemic Legacy, and we got to play that. I think we finished it, oh man, it feels like two years ago. Maybe it was just a year ago. We started it, and then we stopped it, and we, like, there were some big gaps in our, in our playing of it. Um, Pandemic Legacy was a perfect game for, the, the Legacy system lent itself perfectly to the system. Then they made a second one. I heard it wasn't as good. It's still good. I've got it downstairs. We haven't played it yet. Then they made a prequel to Pandemic, and that's Season Zero. That's where we're at now. And it's set in the 1960s. It's got this spy theme. Uh, you have Russian agents running all over the world, supposedly co concocting up a virus. And instead of getting rid of disease cubes, you're getting rid of agents, Russian agents. Uh, if there are outbreaks, they're called incidents. And uh, just like outbreaks, if you have too many, you lose. Um, if you can't put any more agents on the board, you lose. If you run out of cards, you lose. It's great. It is great. We found it to be extremely difficult initially. The first time we played, uh, we lost the prologue, which is hilarious. And we barely, barely scraped by in the first month we won only by uh with the last two cards like on the very last turn we were able to fulfill the objective uh for this one we lost the first one even though we were doing okay and then we won the second time and the second time we won quite resoundingly we hit both objectives and for the second objective, we actually fulfilled all three aspects of it when we only needed one. And that felt good because we worked hard. We got lucky with some card draws, obviously. And instead, we were rewarded with uh, something that recognized our efforts as well. 
And that's the cool thing about this game is there's a sense of progression, both with your characters and the board. Things get more difficult on the board because you're adding stickers and you're being punished for where outbreaks were or incidents. Uh, but you're also buffing up your characters. You're putting down permanent sort of research bases or whatever you want to call them, safe houses in this one. And you're buying stuff with your resources. So it is a fantastic system that is, lends itself to so many different things. And in this case, it's just clicking because we've played so many of these games and it's just so fun. And as far as a four-player experience with dedicated people, it's difficult to go wrong because it's cooperative. So that means there's really no hurt feelings for the, the more sensitive types who don't want to lose, but also for the people that perhaps can't handle the idea of losing or being picked on or not winning a game. So it's a game that works great for that. Now, that said, if you have very powerful voices or personalities in your group that are very dominant, you can end up with something called quarterbacking which can be quite frustrating, in which one player basically, or two people, basically just tell everyone else what to do. And if you make a decision, they overrule you, or that you feel like you're getting overruled. It can be unpleasant, but most of the time, at least in our groups, the quarterbacking issue isn't a big deal. Everyone usually understands what they're getting at, and it's not just being bullheaded or being forced or demeaned. It's, it's a game. It's meant to be fun, so it's not a huge issue. But uh, you have to say, though, would I recommend Pandemic Season Zero or even Legacy, uh, the original, to a group that's new to the game? Personally, I would not recommend Season Zero to people if you do not have any experience with the Legacy system. I think it's just too complicated. Um, and also, I guess like I should throw that in the front too, if you don't know Pandemic. If you don't know the game, do not start by picking up Legacy. You're not gonna, I think you're going to be very frustrated. It's going to be very difficult. You're not going to understand the flow of the game. And you're not going to get the subtleties of it. Um, if you are looking for a game to have on your shelf, you could do a lot worse than Pandemic. It is a classic game for a reason. Um, some people say it's too easy. If it's too easy, you can crank the difficulty because there are difficulty settings depending, and you can shove in more outbreaks into there if you want. Um, I think that it is probably one of the top 10 board games of all time. Do I want to play it all the time? No, absolutely not. Kale and I played a lot of Pandemic over the years, and I think at this point, if one of us said, do you want to play something, and the other person went and grabbed it, I think we'd both be taken aback. And we wouldn't say no, but I think we'd both be like, really? Interesting. Um, but I think my issue is it is just not... Uh, it just doesn't, it just, maybe it's just a bit too stressful almost to play, <laughs> if that makes any sense. At least personally, that's all I'm going to say for myself. It's, it feels stressful and it can feel kind of frustrating and random with regard to how the cards flip. When you're playing the big group, that doesn't feel as bad. And when you're playing a legacy game where there's a sort of a natural sort of assistance mechanism built into the game, I can deal with that. That's to say, not to say, though, that through sheer bad luck and bad draws and just being, you know, unlucky, you might not have a bad time, which is, I think, frankly, what happened to us in the first game of this month, that we just got screwed with some bad kind of randomness with the cards of the cards. Um, but I think Legacy might be a little less punishing in that sense, but at the same time, if you go into it, without an understanding of the system and how to handle its problems and when it throws at you, you're going to be a little unhappy. So, overall, 
pick up the original game or borrow it from one of your million friends who probably has it or go to the library or one of the local I don't know, board game cafes. If you're in Guelph, go to Snakes and Lattes or the Round Table and set up and play shop. Set up shop and play it there. There are worse ways to spend your day. And you know what? It's a good date game. It, it's fun working together to solve something, and it's not that complicated. And they can teach it to you in two seconds, probably, if you're there. So there it is. Jack's recommending Pandemic as a, a board game date night experience. Because there's going to be no sad feelings unless you get very frustrated by the game crushing you. <laughs> and then you might have a bad time. But then, you know what? Just just play it on easier. Feel good about yourself. <laughs> that's what games are for. You don't want to be too easy, though. Anyway, that was, that's my verdict on uh, Pandemic Legacy. I'm enjoying it. We're having a good time. It's hitting those dopamine rushes when you succeed. Uh, there's a great sense of progression. And opening up boxes and releasing new things into your game world, it, it never gets old. We haven't gotten the right on the board yet, um, but I imagine that might be coming at some point, or we'll be scratching stuff away. You never know. Pandemic Legacy. Great game. Give it a shot if you know the system. Uh, in the dying minutes of the show, I want to address two things. First off, there was a game of uh, Mega Civilization Western Empires on uh, Sunday that I did not get to participate in, but I got to see a little bit of. And... Uh, it was interesting seeing it from the outside because you could feel the energy in the room being gone when I walked in there. And normally the energy seems pretty high. A lot of people are excited. There's some nervousness. When I went in there, I think people had just been so beaten down by calamities. And Joel was so, like, had remained unchallenged by them or unfazed that I think a lot of people felt just beaten. And I think because they missed some AST moving as well, it was even more punishing. Uh, it was it was interesting to read about it too because there was a lot of discussion afterwards regarding uh, by one of the players, Patrick, who's been on the show before, friend of the show, Patrick, talking about imbalance with regard to uh, civs and their their locations and their starts and whatnot. Uh, I don't want to get into that right now, and I'd per like to have them all and have a chat about it later. But it was interesting hearing about this because I've been Joel and I have been talking about this for a long time. Some of the things that have been brought up. And uh, it seemed like there were some of these issues that we discussed kind of reared their head a bit in that game. So I'm looking forward to having ideally a bit of a roundtable chat with some people about this in the future, a bit of a spoiler or a bit of optimism. And uh, I think the last thing I want to really go on and mention before the end of the show is that I recently picked up some inserts from... I believe the company's name is uh, Cubes for Me, but uh, you know them by their podcast website and former store called uh, Rails on Boards, I believe. Uh, some gentlemen based out of Poland, and they are train game enthusiasts, and they're enthusiasts to the point that they have made custom trays and stickers and tokens for your favorite 18xx games that are out there. And they just opened a new storefront and streamlined some of the purchasing process, which uh, makes buying stuff for them uh, much, <laughs> much easier because it's uh, before you had to kind of basically assemble the trays you needed based on the descriptions rather than just clicking a single, oh, I, do, what do you want? You want 1830? Okay, here are the trays you need for that. Boom, go. Uh, so they had a sale. I picked up a bunch of stuff. And I have to say, I love the trays. 
I haven't gotten to use them yet, I, but I did get to fill them up. And uh, I'm looking forward to this Sunday getting to test out the first tray in person. So I want to send a thanks to them. And I also want to send a criticism that they are... They need to figure out or send like pictures or something of how to fill the trays up because online there is, what is it? I think 1849 is the only one with comprehensive instructions. They have 1830, the Lookout Games Edition. I've got the Mayfair one, so it doesn't really help me that much. And they're still missing 18 mechs. And I think 1860, when it arrives, they'll get up, but they're missing that one too. So it's a little frustrating when you get these trays. And frankly, I think they were out of order too. And they're supposed to have little stickers indicating which one they're with, but the stickers have become loose in shipment. So I had to kind of reassemble them based on their sizes and delineate them to the correct categories. So if I had any criticism, they need to be easier to, or they need to be packed better or labeled better and it needs to be crystal clear how to apply the stickers and stickers to the trays themselves and also uh, where the, well, I guess you don't even need to do that after the stickers, but if you just put make it clear where the stickers go, everything will be a-okay. Beyond that, they look great. The tokens are great, and I'm really excited to use them, and this is the sort of stuff that I love, and I highly recommend for games. If you like board games, and you play a lot of them, and you have games with setups that take a long time, and takedowns that take a long time, invest in storage, people. That is one of the best things you can do. Anything that gets the game on the table and off the table faster with minimal headache and setup and fuss, that's what you want, and that's a good thing to do. And I'll end it there. Thanks for listening. Android's Dungeon, CFRU 93.3 FM. Check us out on all your favorite podcasting websites. And also, AD Radio CFRU on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram. Android's Dungeon. And also shoot us an email at droiddungeonradio at gmail.com. Don't forget our CFRU address. You can check it out. I'm pretty sure it's on our, the website there on the archives page. Anyway, I'm Jack. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.